And hello and welcome to another episode of Dugout Chat with JT and Cola. We're your hosts, JT Turan and Christina Cola. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Mets news, including the Todd Frazier signing. The fact that they're apparently looking at some starting pitching help. They are actually listening to the fans and doing the logical thing. That's incredible, and I won't believe it, but... Hey, it's rumored. We'll also be talking about Major League Baseball and the Players Association and their latest dispute due to this incredibly slow offseason. And the fact that we're about six days away from pitchers and catchers. So I don't know. It's pretty exciting. What do you think about that, Christina? It's all very exciting. This is going to be a great episode. I also want to give a shout out to uh, our new intro music is from a band called The Isotopes. And they're amazing. The name of the song that you heard in this intro is called "The Ballad of Ray Ordon- or bleh, the Ballad of Ray Ordonez," and it's off their album "Nuclear Strike Zone." And they're just they're just fucking amazing. If you love baseball and punk rock or just anything like any any good, ba- you know what? Even regardless if you if it even if punk's not your like typical jam, like you'll love these songs. They're all they're all baseball themed. They're all amazing. Um, so definitely go check out the isotopes because they're fucking great (laughs) and we're definitely biased because that's probably like the coolest title um, right of any song i haven't really gotten a chance to look at their other stuff yet but just based off of that one that very much i mean that sells it for me so they got so many good songs there there's another one too i think i think it's oh the legend of george brett is phenomenal (laughs) Uh, chicks Picks Dig the Long Ball is another great one. There's just there are just so many great ones. You, you guys, you got to listen to the Isotopes because you're missing out if you're not. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, this finally this off season, I feel like, I mean, <laughs> the off season that is almost over is finally like the kicking up into actually doing something. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I almost feel like the Mets are one of the most active, if not the most active team. In Major League Baseball, like what kind of parallel universe are we living in that that's the case? I know. It's insane. And it's funny because uh, the word that everyone's been using, at least on the MLB network, is the Mets uh, have been very sneaky. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I think I can agree with that. Like, you know, I I was jokingly saying for the longest time, like, oh, they better prove me wrong and actually like, you know, make some moves this offseason. And you know what? They proved me wrong. They made their moves. And now... Uh, you know, we, we got Mr. Frazier, the Todd father staying in New York, which seems appropriate. Cause I feel like when you have that nickname, you got to play for like, I mean, where else would you play? You got to play for New York, you know? Yeah, exactly. And in case you've been under a rock these last, uh, this last day and a half, um, Todd Frazier signed with the Mets two years, 17 million. According to Ken Rosenthal of the athletic, he'll be paid $8 million this year. And his, uh, final year will be a $9 million um payment i guess um the mets obviously haven't confirmed this yet they are you know still working out the details and whatnot but from from everybody that everybody was talking about the mets needing another infielder it was according to many mlb insiders it was down to josh harrison they were looking at Eduardo nunez they were looking at todd frazier um and i'm forgetting one more oh they were also looking at neil walker as well And the fear was that the Mets were apparently slow playing everything. And that's how they've, they've done this whole off season, just slow playing, slow playing, slow playing. My fear was that they were going to wait until Todd Frazier was signed until Eduardo Nunez was signed. And then they were going to end up going with Neil Walker or whatever order. They were just going to end up with whoever was the last guy that got signed in order to get a better deal. Because again, the Mets are cheap. Right. The Neil Walker thing worried me the most, I think, because the Mets, uh, and we've mentioned this before, they have a tendency to try and put the same team on the field and expect the same results. So I would have been very upset uh, had they signed Neil Walker again, because it's just like, well, what are you doing to to make changes? You're not. <laughs> right. And, and to be fair, like, I, I don't personally think I would have been upset with the Neil Walker, um, Neil Walker signing. The only thing it may have been a little bit concerning are his back issues and his injury issues. He actually played one less game last year than he did in 2016 when he when he actually had the back issues so it's not like he's been the perfect picture of health either but regardless that's unfortunately now 
or I should say, fortunately, water under the bridge because the Mets have their infield pretty much set 100% now with Todd Frazier coming in and, and playing third base. And again, it's surprising the fact that they went out and got the guy that they wanted. Um, granted, it's a lot cheaper than a lot of people thought. But from what everybody's been talking about, Todd Frazier's camp was actually selling Todd Frazier to the Mets. Um, I felt that that was a really interesting development. I forget which which writer it was that, that said that. I want to say it was Joel Sherman um, mm. that basically said that Todd Frazier's agents were talking to the Mets about the fact that, you know, Todd would be willing to play first base in case David Wright came back, um, in case he was healthy. And I felt like that was a really interesting development because it feels like the players and their agents are starting to get a little bit more desperate. Right. Um, We'll talk about this obviously a little bit later between everything that's been happening with the Players Association and Major League Baseball. But again, it's been an interesting development that Todd Frazier apparently really wanted to come and stay in New York and play for the Mets when there was a rumor that he was just using the Mets as leverage to get more money from for, from the Yankees and stay in pinstripes, but ended up not working out that way and ended up working, you know, that having Todd Frazier come to Queens and he'll be, he'll be wearing blue and orange come, uh, come March or February, whenever you want to uh, start talking about the players in uniform. And yeah, it worked out pretty well. I mean, Granted, you and I have talked about this before. I think we both were leaning a little bit more towards Nunez if it was between if it was a toss up between the two. But to be honest, I'm happy with the signing. I'm happy they got. Somebody. Yeah, I, I honestly like the only thing, you know, he's a what they've been saying, what they say about Frazier is that he's a big he's got a, a ton of power, which obviously fits with the Mets lineup as it is now, you know, and uh he is a big uh, because of that power. He strikes out a lot, so his batting average is only two thirteen. But if you're looking at on base percentage, which I think is more important in this situation, him and Nunez aren't really that far off from each other. And uh, if you're comparing the two, you know Frazier will at least give you that power that Nunez won't necessarily give you. Um, I don't have Nunez's OPS in front of me right now, but. Uh, I would imagine that Todd Frazier has a much higher OPS than uh, Nunez. So it's not um, – and also, of course, this happened because I was just saying the other day on Twitter about how I don't like Todd Frazier's face. Um, but I think that had a lot to do with his whole attitude on the Yankees last season and how it was just being very bitter about the fact that they were trying to play themselves off as underdogs. Well, you know what, Todd Frazier? Now you're playing for a real underdog. So now – you get to see what that's fucking like, okay? None of this Yankees are the underdog bullshit. You're on a real underdog team now, so let's see what you do. <laughs> so just <laughs> agreed completely, first of all. Um, it, comparing Eduardo Nunez and Todd Frazier is very interesting because Eduardo Nunez has a little bit more speed and a little bit more versatility, but he is a pretty terrible defender yeah. by – every metric and advanced metric you can find out there. What Todd Frazier will give you is he, he can play both corner and infield positions. I believe he's even played the outfield before. Um, but for now, he's just an infielder. And he can give you gold glove caliber style defense. So for now, the left side of the Mets infield is going to be where hits go to die, which is a great thing because for a very long time, even sometimes that David Wright was there, you know, his throwing ability just wasn't great, you know, for some time. It wasn't the greatest thing to, to have when you had Asdrubal Cabrera on the left side of the infield, for example. Right. So now with with Ahmed Rosario and his range and with Todd Frazier's glove and his ability to play and throw, I like that. And I think that's what sticks out as a differentiating factor maybe. Yeah. I think maybe Nunez is still holding out for more money. He thinks he can get – more than ten million, maybe around the twelve million dollar range, whereas Todd Frazier was just willing to stay in New York, stay in the comfortability of New York, not having to move again, not having to you know replan his whole life again right. for the next two years at least. And you know he gets to play the position that he wants to. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of OPS, so Nunez had a better year last year. He had high high batting average, which we don't I don't really consider, but his OPS was eight oh one. Oh, now. It, 
Yeah, it's an outlier because he's a career 735 OPS guy. Okay. Whereas Todd Frazier, his OPS last year was 772, but he's a career 779 guy. Now, his on-base percentage wasn't great in in 2017 in the career i should say because he's a 321 on base percentage career career wise but it seems that with age he's learning to be a little bit more patient this last year it went up to 344 right that's what i was thinking so, i uh but see and even when you break it down like that in my mind it's like i'd rather have those numbers that like they're not like big gaps between the two and the fact that nunez might have yeah, just no. had like a fluke good season kind of it seems uh, I'd much rather have that solid defense uh, as opposed to, you know, Nunez still trying to figure things out kind of. Right. And he did have around, <clears throat> let me see, he was around 500. He had 576 plate appearances last year. So a little bit under 80 plate appearances from what he's used to. He's he's averaged over the last, you know, dating all the way back to 2013 when he was still with the Reds. He's averaged between you know six hundred and forty plate appearances a year, so you can expect this guy to at least be healthy. You can expect him to be on the field, and that's those are all things that I think this team really needs. You need more defense. We need guys that will be able to play, play, and actually we don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to be injured if their backs are going to fail them. Right. Those are I think very intangible things that you really have to look at when you're a front office guy. Um, The fact that according to everybody that I've seen on Twitter talk about both Reds fans, uh, White Sox fans, and even Yankee fans, they loved him in the clubhouse. Teammates have raved about him and he'll be playing for the first time since they were, you know, teammates on the Reds. He'll be playing again with Jay Bruce, which I think is pretty awesome. So it'll be it'll be cool to have both of those guys somewhere in the middle of the lineup, you know, mashing for the same team. And this time it's for the blue and orange. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I uh, as much as I was kind of in a sour mood about this last night. This morning I woke up and I was just like, you know what, the Mets. Th- this is looking. It's looking pretty good now. Like I'm not feeling so bad about it. I'm excited. I'm ready for like the season to start. I want to see you know what all of these new pieces are going to do. I want to. You know, this will be the healthiest they are all year. So, it's true. And and the thing is, now because they were able to save a little bit more money, instead of spending maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen million on a second baseman, they are able to consider, and that's apparently the the latest rumor, going after a starting pitcher. Yeah. They they're probably not gonna look at or even talk to you, Darvish and the Jake Arrietas of the world. But there is a conceivable chance that they could look at, you know, uh, Lynn or a Cobb. Those are the names that are floating out there. Uh, Jamie Garcia's name is unfortunately, uh, you know, flying out there as well. I don't think the Mets should waste their time on a guy like that. But now they're actually looking at maybe adding a little bit more pitching depth, which I think should have been a priority. But again, when you lost so many offensive pieces – and the trade deadline last year, you had to get back some of that offense in order to at least be able to have the same output as you did last year. But now it would be really, really good to to address the pitching. So I'm really hoping that they're able to do something about that. Yeah, I would love to see them sign like Cashner or uh, or Lancelin. You are a huge Cashner fan. I will. Pr- I <laughs> watch this guy prove me wrong this year. But I, he's got good numbers. Like he's, uh, what was it? I forgot his ERA. I bet you, I still remember it. That's how many times. Three eighty. It's like three. Or three three forty. Yeah, three forty. Yeah, year. that's not a bad ERA. Like he's a good like end of the rotation kind of starter. Like he would give us a little bit more depth. It was so funny because um, uh, Joe DeMaio of uh, PSL flushing on Twitter, PSL to flushing on Twitter. He was talking about, he just absolutely just does not want Kashner. Um, and I, why, <laughs> well, why do you do this so, to me? <laughs> no, I don't know. So the, the whole, he's, first of all, he's not a, he's, He's just, I guess he's an okay guy. For a back end of the rotation, I think, yeah, I would prefer Andrew Kashner to a Tommy Malone. Most oh definitely. Oh, my God. Right? I think. Uh, yeah. Like in a heartbeat. Yeah. Jesus Christ. In a heartbeat. So the worry is that last year would have been kind of a blip. The same thing that Nunez okay. had offensively. That's also the worry for Kashner. I mean, you're looking back at the Mets faced him quite a bit 
in in 2016. And I remember the Mets just smacking him around more than a few times. I mean, he, his ERA was almost six. He was he was Matt Harvey yeah. in in Florida in 2016. Right. So it's true he had more success with Texas, and you know he had let's see it was 166 innings, 166 and two thirds, gave up 56 hits, which is great. Right. Um, but he walked 64. He walked 64, and you'd say, okay, you know, he's not. He's, you know, he's going to walk a few people, but the fact is he only struck out 86 batters. Right. So he only struck out more his, so his strikeout to walk ratio is abysmal. And if you add all of that to the walks, his, his whip uh, to the hits, I'm sorry, his whip is one point was 1.32, which is again, back into the rotation. We're talking about fourth or fifth starter. If Andrew Cashman is willing to take a one-year deal, for example, would I bring him on? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I when I say I'm looking at, I I would think that this would be like a one-year type thing. I'm not looking to sign the guy for like three years. Um, right. Exactly. Because I just like, I mean, we don't know, like, what the like. I feel like we don't know what Stephen Matz is a ghost, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it was, the ghost of Stephen Matz. And I love Stephen Matz so much. I love hometown heroes. And I really want him to live up to his, like, you know, potential. But it's like, wow, like, how many times are you going to go to the disabled list? Same with Zach Wheeler. Like, it's it's very disheartening. And, you know, everyone in – I mean, Matt Harvey's still a question mark, but people are feeling good about him having a comeback season. You especially are a big fan of his. Yes, yes, I am. Comeback player of the That's year right. in the National League 2018. Mark it down. Mark it down, everybody. Um but yeah, I, I mean, you know, just just any and I guess maybe then Lance Lynn is also like probably a better option here. But would it? Would you- oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, if we're comparing, you know, that's like comparing apples oh, to oranges right. to, to be completely but honest. Would you, but would you be surprised yeah. if what would you do if the Mets ended up signing like Arietta? Oh, I I would probably get a Mets tattoo that said World Champions 2018. No, no, but- no. Uh, because here's the thing. I mean, this is that's not going to happen. No, though. Don't I, even don't even get me to think that. Listen, I know it's not going to happen, but I'm going to say this because you got my hopes all up in the air for Otani a couple months ago. Sorry so, about that. Sorry. Uh, he's the reason they people think that he hasn't signed yet is because they think he might be on a slight decline. Like they were talking about his fastball losing a little bit of velocity and all this other stuff. So it's just like, well, if he hasn't signed yet, you know, the Mets are apparently played the waiting game in their favor for once. So it's like, what if they did it one more time and managed to manage to sign somebody like him? Like that would be wild. (laughs) I mean, he didn't have that crazy of a, of a year last season. It wasn't, it wasn't something that you could, you know, you just, it blows your mind. Let let me, I'm calling up his stats right now. ERA 3.53 was the highest in his career since 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was his first year in Chicago, the first year where he was a starting pitcher. Um, actually, no, in 2013, he was still a reliever. He switched to – yeah, so since he's been a starter, mm-hmm. he's never had a higher ERA. So that's, again, a little bit concerning. He was on the DL last year as well, right. so he only he only pitched 100, 168 innings. Um, his strikeouts were still there, though. I mean, not not close to the one per inning, but, you know – 2016, uh, 2015 for him was just absolutely insane. I mean, the guy struck out 236 batters in 229 oh, totally. innings, so he was he was just an absolute beast. But yeah, I could see yeah I could see where there would be a little bit of a decline for him, especially since his whip has gone mm-hmm. up. Uh, the number of home runs he's given up last year, he gave up 23, yeah. um, whereas he had never given up that many. Period. So yeah, I, I could see something like that being you know being a concern for teams. Uh, but uh, he's he's 31 years old. He's turning 32. Let's see. Yep, he'll be turning 32 before the season starts on March 6th. Right. So, yeah, he's probably looking for like a five-year, six-year deal. And nobody's going to give him I mean, that. No, so you're 32. Just... Who's going to give you six years? Nah, the most I would give him would be like two or three. And it's funny because I was talking about this on Twitter before, Um specifically when it has to do with the uh, Players Association and the owners stuff that's going on right now. With Matt Ehalt, uh, Ehalt of NorthJersey.com. We were talking about how, like, you know, just different players, what some of them deserve and stuff like that. And he brought up Jacoby Ellsbury, oh, which, 
I mean, that contract, seven years, what is this? Like seven years, 160 million, 153 million, something insane like that. Yeah. Right? And Jacoby Ellsbury is pretty much like a bench player at this point. And you're going to have times like that where people and teams get desperate and they overpay because you had an amazing year. If Jake Arrieta would have become a free agent after 2015, he would already have signed and he would have probably signed for like 150 million as a pitcher. I don't even doubt that. But the fact that it was two more years that he was under Cubs control and he struggled. No, he didn't struggle, but he wasn't as lights out as he was in 2015. Right. Must have caused them, cost them dozens of millions of dollars, which is just insane to think about. So what would I want a guy like him? Obviously, most definitely. Realistically, I think the Mets are more looking at a guy like Lance Lynn. Um, you would have to give up a second round draft pick. Mm-hmm which is the one thing that I think is a little bit, I don't know, a little bit concerning because you never want to give, you know, the talent that you can get drafting. I mean, we've seen guys like Conforto, Noah Syndergaard. Well, Noah Syndergaard was traded, but Matt Harvey was drafted. DeGrom, like all these guys that have, you know, come up from the minors and been draft products daniel murphy was a draft product and now that they have oronaya i kind of like the idea of the mets having you know nice draft picks but either lance lynn or alex cobb i would take either one of them give them to me on a three-year deal and if the mets are willing to spend they sign a pitcher like that guess what they're a playoff contender yeah i i mean that's what everyone has been saying now all of a sudden everyone's singing a different tune about the mets uh they're saying on paper you know it looks good uh, and it's really a question of whether or not that pitching, the, the rotation is going to hold up. Uh, but I, I mean, you give me, you give me Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb and you slot him into that third, that third uh, slot in the rotation. Yeah. And Noah Syndergaard, we have to assume that Noah Syndergaard is going to stay healthy this year because he had never had injury problems before. This was this lat, dumbass lat injury. You can blame it on so many different things. Hopefully, it just doesn't repeat itself. Jacob deGrom is still Jacob deGrom. Right. And I can only expect him to get better this season under the tutelage of both Mickey Calloway and Dave Eland. So there's no reason to expect that they won't be number one and number two in the Mets rotation for a majority of the time. I think it's fair enough to expect that players can come back from injuries and be okay. Yeah. You give me one of those two other two guys in the in the third slot of that rotation. We're talking like that's that is a good rotation now. All of a sudden, you just by just adding one guy, right? And everyone loves to, of course, say it's like, wow, the Mets look really good, but they still can't compete with the Nationals. I feel like that is the theme of everything. Uh, I mean, everyone just wants to say that. I think to make make themselves sound safe. Because people were saying that till they were blue in the face in in 2015, and they they yeah. were just like, "Oh my god!" Like, who would have saw this coming? And I'm like, "No, that's that seems legit. Like, it, it was totally possible that the two teams were able to compete with each other." You know, uh, yeah. And you know, at the very least, you know, the Mets will, I hope, be a wild card team this year. Um, I don't see why they couldn't be, especially if you know that uh, pitching stays healthy. But honestly, it's one of those things that I would I almost think it's going to be easier for the Mets to win the East than it is for them to win a wild card. You have I do, too. That's the that's exactly what the way I was looking at it, because I'm like the Nationals. Oh, yeah, they're still a good. They're a very good team. Yeah, they're a very good team. But there's no reason why the Mets should not be competing with them. You know, like they're, they're not that much worse off than the Nationals. Like because I'm trying to think of right. the Nationals rotation. OK, yes, you have Max Scherzer and you have. Steven Strasburg. Who else is like big? Uh, Gio's still there. He might have a bounce back season this year. See, that's the thing. Like he didn't even have that good of a year. And then who else is at the back end of that rotation? I mean, you really don't need a whole rotation of like, you know, fireballers, obviously. I've I've mentioned that before. But like their rotation was aside from those two, like nothing that I was just like, oh, no, watch out. Here are the Nationals with their offensive powerhouse and their wild rotation. The Mets definitely – I mean, have the potential to have a better rotation than the Nationals. I'm not, you know, right. Max Scherzer is obviously my god. He's amazing. 
But, you know, there's no reason that the rest of our pitchers can't compete with that. I'd like to see Syndergaard give Scherzer a run for his money, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, so there's their starting pitchers depth chart. Uh, you have Tanner Roark, obviously, starting um, in the fourth slot. And then you have a couple of for, – for the fourth and fifth slot, A.J. Cole looks like he could be a lock for that fifth slot. Um and if I'm not mistaken, let me see who else would be here. If, uh, but yeah, Joe Ross too could could also potentially be either a fourth or fifth starter depending on how the Nationals want to play it. So yeah, it's not they're they're not anything out of this world. I think the National League East, if again, if the Mets are able to sign somebody to give them starting pitching help, they can actually be a contender in the National League East. The wild card. The Rockies are on a mission to literally just build the world's greatest starting pitching and bullpen in the history of Colorado, at least. I don't know. <laughs> then you have the Brewers, who literally traded for, for Yelich not too long ago, who are also making a run. The Brewers, and I, obviously- I think, are trying more to knock the Cubs off the – and I'll send correct yeah. right but the Cubs are still the Cubs right so they're gonna be they're gonna be tough the Cardinals don't sleep on the Cardinals either they traded for Ozuna this year as well so with the Marlins so they're they're looking to actually not only improve but they're looking to make a run so you have four teams in the central who are those poor Reds I feel so bad for the Cincinnati Reds oh, but the <laughs> the three teams and I, I I added the Rockies to the central I'm an idiot but the NL West you have so many teams right now that are going to be competing for that wild card. You have legitimately four really good teams, three in the central who are going to be fighting for one title. And then the Rockies are, are out West and the Dodgers as well. So somebody's going to like win those two wild cards. And I would not be surprised if it again comes out of the, of the NL West yeah. or if it comes out of the central as well. So it's the NL West it's is, is interesting too, because the giants were like a non-factor last year. They were worse than the Mets. I think. Um, yeah, they were. Oh, yeah. And it's it's so funny because, you know, what was that wild card game like the year before? <laughs> but Literally. Uh, but, you know, the Giants, everyone was praising the Giants for all their signings they've made so far. And they're just like, being an older team is not a bad thing. And I'm like, no, I don't think it is. But I don't know if it's, it's still like we're still yet to see if this is going to end up working in their favor because – you know, I guess uh, it's not terrible to have a majority of your players be on the older side, but like at the same time, I'm like, you need some kind of young pop somewhere in that uh, in that lineup, you know? Yeah, and they've sold the, their souls to the devil. So, I mean, I would not be surprised if they're able to completely and totally compete with a team that's 65 years and older. <laughs> that would not that would not surprise me whatsoever because the Giants are an evil demonic team and uh, <laughs> they will forever remain that way I mean, that's I just, just how i have so many strong feelings about madison bumgarner yeah i, I don't i we can't even go we need to dedicate a whole episode on um just absolutely tearing up madison bumgarner <laughs> yeah uh yeah i know it's insane i but it's you know it, again the mets they can they can make a big impact they are they can do they can actually make an impact in the NL East. I, I think they need to be able to put a, another starting ro- uh, starting pitcher into that rotation in order to really, really do that. I, I wrote on Twitter today that if and you know it might be harsh hot take, whatever the whatever the fuck you want to call it. but if the Mets don't sign a starting pitcher and they go into the season with the same exact starting rotation, the same exact guys, as depth, a.k.a. Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman, and the rotation falters, whether it's through injury or through bad performance, that is a fireable offense, in my opinion, Yes, I for Sandy Alderson. Because you had you had one job. <laughs> like That's how they say it. You had one job. And your job was to make the team better than it was last year. And last year, your biggest, biggest issue was starting pitching. We talked about this last week on the podcast as well. Um, the Mets posted the second worst ERA in franchise history. And the only one that was worse was the 1962 Mets, the expansion team. <laughs> so if you can't improve the rotation, the same thing happens to you. You deserve to be fired. I don't care 
how well Todd Frazier plays. I don't care how if Adrian Gonzalez literally goes back to his like MVP caliber style season. It does. It won't matter. None of that would matter if the starting rotation doesn't stay healthy or doesn't perform because you decided to take a gamble, and that's what it is. It's a gamble to rely on a starting rotation that has been unhealthy and has performed badly. Yeah. I hope it works out. We're Met fans here, so we're I'm obviously hoping it works out for the best because that will mean that we are a playoff team. But if it doesn't, that's a fireable offense. That's right. We're going to fire him ourselves. <laughs> uh, we're going we're going to take him to the back and kill no, shoot him like a dog. Yeah. No. But it's just it's one of those things that I, I don't think I, 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 it bothers me that they've put so much, you know, faith into this rotation, and it, it just—I don't know why. I well, genuinely don't know why. The thing though, I—it's that the, all the new hiring of the bench coaches too. That's uh, something that's adding to this. I guarantee it because, like, they're just like, oh, Mickey Galloway and Dave Eland and you know whoever else. Uh, who did? Which was Ray Ramirez? Was that who they fired? I already forgot. Like, it's been yeah, Ray Ramirez. Yeah. yeah. So. They um, they think that with these changes, they think they can rely on this rotation, even though it hasn't been healthy in the past, because they're just like, well, we cleaned house, you know, like this should be OK going forward. But I agree. I, I think you, you know, you can't just it's you can't just hope that that the the results from previous successful seasons will just automatically replicate themselves. People get older, you know, your your body wears down after time, like it's it's not going to be the same young arms that you brought up all at once in 2015. Like they need to train a certain way. They need to make sure they keep themselves healthy and you need to make sure that you have insurance if that doesn't happen because last year was a mess. Um, that being said, yeah. I'm also trying to err on the optimistic side in the sense that I think this will be a good year. I got a gut feeling, you guys. <laughs> oh, man. No oh, man. Your gut, <laughs> your gut feelings. Your gut feeling. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, I'm being completely honest. I feel very, very similar. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's just because it's February and pitchers and catchers reporting is right around the corner and everybody always feels optimistic around this time. <laughs> it's the fact that they've actually gone out and spend some money. Um, but again, that's they need to have this starting rotation be addressed. And it's not – the thing is, it's not that I don't think – Injury, injuries and players that come back from injuries are never healthy. I completely put Noah Syndergaard's injury, for example, in a separate category than I do a Steven Matz and I do a Zach Wheeler, for example. Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler have never been able to be healthy. The only reason Steven Matz was in the postseason in 2015 is because he came up so late, had that lat injury that he was out for like, I think like two months. I don't even remember how, how long he was out for. And then ended up being able to stay healthy for the remainder of the season because there was thankfully nothing wrong with his shoulder or his arm. That's the only reason he pitched in the postseason. Aside from that, in 2016, missed a big chunk of the year. Last year, same exact thing. So I put those guys in a separate category. I think Noah Syndergaard is going to be fine. And I think you can and you should count on him. The other guys, nope. So what's going to happen when when Steven Matz is, is no longer feeling as great after the first week of spring training? You're going to have to turn to those guys that were literally scrubs and nobody wanted them and they were released from their AAA team. And that's not the type of pitchers a, play, a playoff contending team has to have. It's just – it's absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah, I would prefer having – and again, I think Matt Harvey is going to be the NL play, comeback player of the year. I hope so. So, I think that. I firmly believe that. I'm not just saying that. I think that. So you add another guy like Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb, and all of a sudden you have an amazing four-man rotation, and I don't give a shit who that fifth starter is. But until then, eh, we'll see what happens. So if if Matt Harvey has this comeback season, which I also hope he does, do – had because if that's the case, then I want the Mets to sign him and Syndergaard and Degrom for like long term. Like I want them. Like I want our like core to be, you know, what it's been for the past couple seasons. Just because I like that. I like that they we like worked hard on these guys, and I would like to keep them. Uh, right. I don't think Matt Harvey will ever pitch with the Mets after this year. Yeah. I mean, I think we discussed that in one of the earlier, uh, one of our first episodes. 
it, regardless of how well he does. If he does well, he's definitely not coming back because Scott Boris is going to be like, see, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Give me all the money. What a piece of sh- oh, I. Uh, it would be awesome. It would it, look. It would be genuinely awesome if Matt Harvey found the fact that you know found something within himself and related it to the fact that he was working with Mickey Calloway, working with Dave Eland, and decided, you know what, I want to stay here. I I, I want to perform well, and I want to stay here because I was able to lose it and regain whatever it is that I lost. Right? If he's able to perform well. I think that would be awesome. Do I think that's going to happen? No way in hell. Yeah. If he has any, if he has any type of success, even if it's mediocre success, <laughs> I think he's gone. And obviously, on the flip side of that, if he has a repeat of 2017, there's why would the Mets even bother to like look at him? Oh, again? totally. I'm I'm talking you know? like if he's got like his stellar year going. Oh, on. if he has a stellar year, he's yeah. definitely gone. <laughs> like I'm thinking, there's like there's maybe a fine line where he is good like eh good you know uh he's serviceable is the word i was looking for and he decides you know what i can build on this but i want to stay here to keep building on this because i don't want to go to a new pitching coach have them talk my ear off and then whatever right mediocre serviceable that's what i think he would maybe get want to have another chance with the mets and the mets would also be like okay you know what you're a fourth fifth starter we're comfortable giving you money for that and here you go. Aside from that, no, I don't think he comes back. <laughs> oh, God. But hey, it would be nice though. I, I uh, on the uh, on the side of Jacob Degrom though, I definitely think that this year they have to try to lock him up. Yeah. I mean, you're not doing yourself any services, and it honestly counts against the good faith that a club has when you have a guy like Jacob Degrom who still he's under arbitration for two more years, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I should call that up. But he had, I think maybe it's just one more year that he had. Um, and, and he wants to work out a deal. He's gone on the yeah. record saying that he wants to be able to, you know, stay and sign long term with the, with the team. But unfortunately, they have to, you know, they're, they're waiting and they're trying to, I guess, play shit out. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Let's see. He'll be. Wow. Yeah, he still has two Wow, three more years of arbitration. He'll be a free agent in 2021. Yeah. Oh, so see. after the 2020 season. So he has next year and the following year. So yeah, this is his first year of arbitration. I would love to wow. lock him down long term as well. I think the Mets, I love, I always appreciate when players want to stay with the Mets. Um, and I think, you know, the club should be taking advantage of that and like give him a sweet deal. He's a great pitcher. Like he's always like been able to come through, you know? Um, yeah. As far as Noah Syndergaard, I don't think he will want to do that. I mean, you still have – he's not even arbitration eligible this year. Right. He's – it'll be next year his first um, – or actually, you know what? It's his – yeah, next year. So, it'll be arbitration eligible in 2019 with free agency in 2022. So, would I want the Mets to do that? Definitely. But I don't think they're going to because they can – at least right now, they can get him for a little bit cheaper than than market value. Right. And – Again, with with this ownership group, it's that's just how it is. They're looking to be able to save money as much as possible. So, which sucks. Um, but oh god, I don't even want to think about the idea of those two not being in a Mets uniform anytime soon. Oh yeah, no, that's just uh, don't let's let's not let's, let's jump past <laughs> this. Let's jump past this. Uh, speaking of cheapness, uh, this MLB offseason has been um, has been slow. It's kind of weird. We were talking about this before we went on air that the Mets are actually one of the, if not the most active teams in baseball right now. Yeah. Uh, they signed Jay Bruce, signed Todd Frazier, signed Gonzalez, brought back Reyes. So they've they've made some signings, signed Anthony Zwarzak. They've done some things. And it's weird because a lot of other teams, it feels like, haven't. And... This whole slow off season is all of a sudden now becoming more of an issue within Major League Baseball itself. You had the head of the Players Association, Tony Clark, former Met, um, issue a statement originally, basically saying in less words than that there could be collusion between the owners, which is just an absolutely inflammatory <laughs> statement from oh from the head of the PA. 
um, because the owners are acting kind of in sync and they're kind of nobody's nobody's willing to sign. You still have guys like JD Martinez out there, Mustakas is still out there, Eric Hosmer's still out there. Um, it's just it's been really strange. And then Major League Baseball then comes out, issues a statement earlier today, basically saying this is market value and you're just you guys have uh, some of some of the biggest names have nine figure offers out there and you guys are deciding not to take them. So that's not really our fault. Yeah. And I think and- we all know whose main fault it is. It's fucking Scott Boris's fault. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And to the point where I was like thinking that and I saw a notification pop up on my phone saying the MLB versus Scott Boris. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly. I said this at the beginning of the off season when things started to move slow. I was like, this guy, how many free agents of these free agents does he like, or at least the bigger names, he does control, um, who is it, uh, Moustakis, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I believe so. Does he? I think he also has control over Martinez. Um, and I'm not 100% on Eric Hosmer, but like, you know this guy's being a greedy bastard right now. Like, he wants, you know, the most money. And it's just like... I, I can only imagine like how this like pro like how he's like completely destroyed this process at this point because let's see Scott Boris has oh my god that's insane let's <laughs> under management he has 176 clients yeah he's like Mr Monopoly like there's no reason he is wow okay so let's see okay number of clients 76 wild that should restate that. Contract years under management, 179, which is insane. His contract value is $1.89 billion. This motherfucker. It's our podcast. I will curse him out all I want because he drives me Go ahead. It's not like I'm a Scott Boris fan in any way, shape, or form. Because, you know, obviously Mets fans remember his crazy nonsense from 2015 when the Mets were making that whole push in the postseason, and he's just like, well, Matt Harvey will pitch maybe um, if he's feeling up to it. It's like, no, no, motherfucker, no. Like, that's not how it works. Like, We still made the World Series somehow after all that shit. I know, and it's wild. I was so – I remember being so angry. I'm sure a lot of Mets fans were really angry about that too. Um, but I, I just – I've hated him ever since, like – I mean, I always – I never was crazy about him. But, like, when that shit happened, I was just like, absolutely not, no. And the fact that now all of this is happening in this offseason with these slow signings and all this, it's just like, it makes so much sense to me. It's like, yeah, who owns most of these big names? Oh, it's Scott Boris. Why am I not surprised? The thing is, before, it's never been like this, right? So before Scott Boris could, it's funny because just looking down the list of names of players, he he controls Jacoby Ellsbury is one of them. So (laughs) if we were talking about him before, it's just like that, he absolutely robbed the Yankees blind. Robbed. Garbage contract. Um, And again, I don't feel bad for the Yankees whatsoever, but it's just funny that, it's funny that the same system that gave you that horrendous contract he's complaining about just because it's not working out just as well for him. Right. Exactly. Um, There has been a change in terms of baseball and in terms of how uh, hitters approach batting and, and everything like that. So there might not be as much of an emphasis or teams might not care to spend as much money on older players because they feel like the younger players can give them the same output. Younger right. players are cheaper. They break down less. And if they can give you the same exact um, you know, number of home runs, the same number of quality at bats and everything that a guy that is going to cost you $200, $200 million can, guess what's going to happen? So, again, so for example, you have 2017, most home runs in a season, which is – just absolutely insane. I, I don't understand how, how it's possible that they hit so many in September September 19th, so the day after my birthday last year, they Major League Baseball broke the record, which was set in 2000. Um, they had over 5,694 home runs. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out right now what the in- entire total was, but they broke that record in September. They did. So, yeah, that's an insane amount of home runs. Let's see, total 6,105. That was the entire Major League uh, Baseball. You're not going to have guys all of a sudden maybe, you know, guys like Moustakas, guys like Hosmer, 
who think maybe in 2005, 2006, they would have been worth those types of value. Maybe even a couple of years ago, they would have been worth the insane values that they, that they're thinking. Right. Baseball's changing. Home runs aren't that scarce anymore. Everyone can hit them. So you're not going to get 200 million just because you hit 40 home runs. Right. I'm, I'm looking at you, Mustakas. I'm looking at you. But even even with JD Martinez, like the, I think what would the, what was the offer the Red Sox like put on the table for him? Like it was uh, like seven years, a hundred million or something like that. No, Let me I see. Hold it, on, it wasn't seven. I think it was five years actually. But even so, like five years. How old is JD Martinez? That's a good contract. Like yeah, I, five I years, one hundred mil. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that there's no reason why he shouldn't be taking that contract, and I know. That if Scott Bo- – did we say that Scott Boris was his agent? I'm just looking for – I don't know. Me. Let me see. Me, I'll tell you right right now. Um, let's see. It says – no, he's – oh, yep. Scott Boris, yep, okay. his agent. So you know Boris is pushing for like a seven- or eight-year deal. And it's like that's not going to happen. And if I was J.D. Martinez, I'd be pissed at my agent because it's just like, come on. Like spring training is seven day- – what, a week from now? Like – and I have no contract signed. Like that's insane. Like you're, it's it's just it's wild to me. Like what? That's a good deal from Boston, I think. Uh, and Boston could definitely use someone like JD Martinez, especially after the Yankees signed uh, John Carlos Stanton. So yeah, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and again, it's one of those things that you're gonna have eventually. You're gonna have one of those things that. Uh, something's got to give. Yeah. Right. The market is right now determining that home runs are just not as valuable. You can get production from other places that are cheaper and, and, and and you're going to be happy. Now that thankfully falls right in the laps of the Mets. Uh, Grant Brisby of SB nation wrote about that earlier today and how the Mets are just, everything is working out as a slow playing uh, for them. With this offseason specifically, I mean, you got Jay Bruce for three years and $39 million. Right now, honestly, that looks like they overpaid. It's yeah. crazy to think about that. But right now, it looks like the Mets overpaid for Jay Bruce, giving him $13 million a year. When last year, if I'm not mistaken, he made seventeen. So yeah. it's just one of those things that it sucks for the players. I get it. And... I, I am the most anti-helping old rich white dudes get richer. Okay. Oh, and it 100. sucks. Yeah. It absolutely <laughs> sucks. But up until this point, like what you, you there's nothing you can really do. There's nothing you can really do. And I, I don't know. It, it's hard to make the argument that owners should be spending more, should be should be overpaying players when they can get the same results or similar results from a combination of cheaper assets. Right. It's just, it's, uh, I hate it. I, and I can't side with the owners. Fuck the owners. Rich motherfuckers. But the player, I don't know what the players were thinking either. This is unfortunately a very, very down year. If next year, when you have Manny Machado as a free agent, when you have Bryce, is Bryce Harper as a free agent next year too, right? Yeah, uh, I believe yes. so. Let me see. Yeah, that's, that's the big, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the big, about. that's the big fucking class, right? When you have Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, if they are struggling to find work, those two, maybe we can look at, okay, something's going on here. Somebody's not paying. I guarantee you neither one of those is going to go into into 2019 without a contract. That's just – that's absurd. That would be absurd if it were to happen. But again, you have guys like Eric Hosmer probably wants an insane more money. Like he's the one with the seven-year deal, right? The seven-year deal offer. Uh, from the Royals, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I was like, dude, what? Like, he's, what he's I- received multiple seven-year offers. Yeah, I was going to say, the other one should be from San Diego, no? Yeah, it was, let's see. Yeah, Royals and San Diego. Yep, San Diego seven years, but has not reached $140 million, Whereas the Royals are offering him seven. Uh, they're offering him 147 over seven. Jesus for Christ. Eric like, fucking Hosmer. Like, take the offer. Like, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't understand. I just, I will never Eric understand this. Hosmer. Again. Eric Hosmer. I, 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 I can't. The dude hit 25 home runs. Oh my God. Like, dude, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. It's insane. It's madness. Again, great year. 882 OPS. 
perfect to have on a walk year. The year before, 761. Yeah, exactly. Before, 822, which again, good. You're a good player. You're a solid first baseman. The year before that, 716, 800. Again, those are probably your plateaus. You're going to have Eric Hosmer give you between a 750 to an 800 OPS. Last year, he had almost a 900 OPS. He fucking blew the doors out. And great for him because now he thinks he deserves to be able to cash out on. And again, the players deserve to be able to ask for this. But that doesn't mean they're going to get it. It just doesn't. So I don't know. it, It feels like the tension is boiling. There have been talks about maybe some players boycotting spring training and, you know, having some type of there's labor peace because the new collective bargaining agreement was reached last year. So that's not an issue. But having players boycott spring, I I can't imagine any player who has signed a contract because, again, those would be the only ones who would be invited to spring training would be boycotting in favor of other players because – yeah, because Eric Hosmer doesn't feel like accepting a seven-year, $147 million deal. I truly don't think that will happen because of what you just described. It's like, you're who are you hurting? You're really only hurting yourself in what? In favor of some guy that's probably not on your team and, you know, has nothing to do with your, like, and your teammates. Like, what, what the fuck are they going to think about, you know? Like, the guys that aren't boycotting, like... They're they're gonna be like, no, what the fuck? This is spring training. Like you you're you're only hurting yourself and your teammates and your team as a whole by boycotting spring training. And it would be, and it would be a boycott outside of the parameters of when a typical strike would occur. Again, if you don't have labor peace, if the owners and the players association can't come to terms, that's something that maybe should have been discussed at more length during the collective bargaining agreement discussions. That's when that's when maybe you look at those things and maybe you see, you know, how we can address the fact that, you know, certain players aren't do that at the next one, you know? It it's going to suck. I think it was a 5-year deal if I'm mistaken that they signed. It's going to suck to not be able to make as much money as maybe they would have been able to 2 years ago. Yeah, it sucks, definitely. But if all of a sudden you have a surplus of talent that comes in. You have guys like, you know, for example, the Dodgers and the Astros got the have these guys and they're all so cheap. You're adding more talent to the pool, which makes the supply greater, which is going to reduce the demand for certain for certain other assets that are older. That's just how yeah. it is. I mean, if you didn't if the Astros and the Dodgers, just two teams right there, didn't have some of those insanely good players, all-stars, at the cheap prices that they're in, those two teams would also be adding to the bidding of these other guys because they would want to improve their roster. The Dodgers being one of them because they spend money like crazy. Of course. Yeah. No, it's it's truly but insane. So, so when you have, again, you're adding more and more, more and more talent. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of things that contribute to that. There's a lot, It's the new approach to baseball the influx of young talent, you're going to have a lot of different things reshape it. So yeah, maybe you're probably going to have to suck it up until the next collective bargaining agreement and then figure something out. Cause then if you want to strike, then go right ahead. You're more than within your rights, but right now you signed the deal. You signed it. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a confusing time. I really hope it doesn't end up affecting the actual games. Spring training starts early. The season starts early this year. So we have six days until pitchers and catchers report. I can't believe my, that. My hope is that within the next couple of days, there will just be like an absolute explosion of signings. I mean, I, I hope so. I just. I Didn't just, we say that last time? I know, but now we're. I'm pretty, we're really, sure. Now I'm pretty we're, sure we literally really, said that last time. Now we're really close, though, and there's no reason. I don't know. You know what? Whatever. I don't give a fuck about these other teams. Good job, Mets. I'm proud of you guys. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. It actually fell in our lap completely, which is kind of yeah. hilarious. That's so, so funny. <laughs> you want to you want to answer some uh, some reader questions? We I, got some. You know what? I do actually want to answer some. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So one of the uh, let's see, our first question comes from uh, Ryan. He says, "Hi friends, what would you consider to be a successful season for the Mets in 2018?" Um, I think. I would say at least – well, see, we already talked about at least the wild card, but I do think it, they can make a run for the NL East at this point. Now with the moves that they've made, uh, I don't see why that's not possible. And I would say 
hopefully maybe get back to 90 wins. But, you know, once again, that's going to rely on the rotation. But I don't see why they shouldn't be able to uh, make that push for it. I don't know. So I'm going to take a little bit of a weird approach. I think a successful season for the Mets is going to be a season in which they can remain healthy. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to put I'm not going to put a win total. I'm not going to put a playoff appearance. I'm not going to put any of that stuff on there. Um, I think about 2015, and it was one of those years that honestly I didn't think we were. I think I thought maybe we were still a year or two away before really being able to contend. Yeah. Um, and 2015 just kind of came out of nowhere. The secret to that season was people were actually healthy. People were actually able to play. The Mets made some really good moves. They played well. So that's going to be my uh, my metric for success because I believe that if you get into the playoffs, literally anything can happen. Um, the Mets could be eliminated in the wild card game again, much like the Mets could make it all the way to the World Series. The playoffs are when you know catching a hot team at the right time, you can win it all. Um, by the same metric, I think the Mets could actually like win 95 games, not win the NL East and not win the wild card either. Like not even get into the wild card game because it's going to be that much of an insane season. I think in the national league, the national league is becoming a powerhouse little by little. So my metric will be health because you're going to have to run into some luck, but in order to be able to, you know, have some type of postseason success, maybe off of that luck, you need to just be healthy. So if the Mets are able to stay healthy, I think good things will come their way. So that'll be my metric for success. I want to see, I want to see Cindergaard give me 30 starts. Same from DeGrom. I want to see Harvey win National League Comeback Player of the Year, as we state, <laughs> stated already, or I stated already. <laughs> I want to see that Jonas Espedes' hamstrings are not made out of glass. That would yeah. be really nice for him to play like 150 games. That would be beautiful. I'll even take 145. I want to see oh, Michael Conforto's shoulder and make sure it's okay. Um, those are the things that I want to see. And if those things are successful, regardless of the win total and regardless of their playoff <laughs> appearances or whatever, I'll be excited for the following season. I'll consider this a success just because of the absolute clusterfuck that was 2017. Wait, do you do you know what I've been calling them? I've said this on Twitter a couple of times, usually during like games and stuff, but uh, I, I've been calling the Mets the Bandage Boys for like the past two seasons. Bandage Boys? Oh my because God. Because they amazing. keep getting hurt. Because Bandage Boys coming in hot like a fever because that is... <laughs> Mets on the DL all the time. So if they could not be the bandage boys and I could retire that joke, that would be great. Exactly. That's, that's all we want. We just want some health. I want to be able to see my guys playing. Cause honestly, I feel like if they're healthy, they'll be good. And I don't yeah. have to worry about making a, another ridiculous prediction. <laughs> uh, another, the other question is from o- Osmar Padilla. He says, so it seems like the whole chat of this offseason surrounding the Mets has been about what players to sign potential lineups, etc." Everyone's forgotten about Mickey Calloway. Not us, guys. Not us. What do y'all think he'll bring to this team that was missing under Terry Collins? Joy. Um, Terry Collins looked like the Grim Reaper for like the past couple years. And Mickey Calloway is just like a little ray of fucking sunshine. I love him so much already. I can't wait to see what he does. That's part of the reason I'm so excited for spring training and the season to finally get underway because I want to see him in action. Like, he just, he seems great. Like, I'm so, I feel like, ah, He's like a big hug around this organization. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't been broken down and torn down and torn up by the New right. York life and the New York media yet. Let's enjoy him while he's still new and shiny before yeah, <laughs> before the New York media cuts him. It'll be nice to honestly have uh, a guy that I think puts the players first. Uh, he was a player not that long ago, which I think really um, makes which I think really helps him out too. Um, I think he'll be able to have respect in the clubhouse. I think he'll be able to just from, again, from the short amount of appearances that we've seen that we've, you know, seen him talk. uh, He seems like a guy that's genuinely interested and genuinely invested in his players and, and doing and working for them. So, I think that'll translate well to guys like, for example, Noah Syndergaard, to guys like Joanna Cespedes, guys that we feel and kind of, you know, generally just feels like have big egos that are maybe a little bit tough to handle. Guys that maybe Terry Collins just was not able to 
really bring under his wing or really have um, the ability to talk to or whatnot. Um, I think that's that's going to be huge. And again, I think the biggest, the, another big improvement, I think, is the fact that he is a pitching guy. You're going to have two, you're going to essentially have two pitching coaches. I know he'll more than likely not want to intervene with what Dave Eland wants and the game plan that he has. But the fact that he'll be the one that's managing the bullpen, he'll be the one that's, you know, taking the starters out. As a former pitcher, I think he'll be really good at that, at reading the pitchers, knowing what he needs, knowing what they need to be able to, you know, maybe a, a coach visit or between starts, knowing what to tell them and how to help them uh, work stuff out between starts. I wrote this article the other day about specifically about that, about that in-between starts program and how the Cleveland Indians pitching staff, they used to have this routine an hour and a half before the game that was just very strict and very specific just to make sure that they're able to stay flexible, stay on the field. And I think that'll be huge. If 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 everything goes according to how it's been standing, I think they're going to be able to stay healthy, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, I think it's great. I love it. Can't wait. <laughs> and, and the last question is from, uh, I think... I think his name is Chris. He says, I've only got one question. Is Pop Rocks and Cola single? Uh, yeah, I'm single, but I'm also a huge lesbian. So, <laughs> you, dude. so stop asking questions like that to our Twitter account, please. People, and do not, contact so me. do not contact me directly because I don't like it. Stop. Why, why are people the worst? <laughs> why are men the worst? Jesus. Oh, God. Well, on that note, (laughs) we'll be wrapping up this uh, episode of Dugout Chat with JT and Cola. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Christina, anything else you want to add before we sign out? No, I mean, I think I'm I'm just so excited for spring training. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll check back in around that time once that everything starts kicking off. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be doing more uh, more podcasts as things. pick up with with spring training obviously we have six days before pitches and catchers report the mets will be in port st Lucie. we, we saw a few of them um actually already there juan lagardis is yeah. there already cespedes i think is there flores is there rosario's there um do you see that video today uh, of lagardis i think it was on his instagram and lucas duda was with him oh uh, weird like- no i didn't see that i know lagardis looks like a tiny like truck now which is insane yeah, exactly. He does. <laughs> so <laughs> it's um, it's kind of impressive. I don't know if he's gotten bigger or if he just always looks like that, but you always see him with a baseball uniform, so it's a little bit hard to tell. I'm not even yeah. sure. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Duda apparently lives in Port St. Lucie. So that's oh, why. Cool. Yeah. So he works in the facility, and I guess the Mets don't really mind. But um, uh, Brian Mangan from uh, Good Fundies, he was talking about how funny it would be if the Mets like somehow brought back Lucas Duda for like 3 million and immediately cut Adrian Gonzalez, like <laughs> without him ever suiting up. Oh um, my God. What I would not be opposed to that. I think that'd that would be, I think that would be fine. I mean, no, but it would be hysterical. Oh, because you know, the market's breaking down in a way that Lucas Duda might have to settle for like a minor league contract, which would be fucking insane. Oh, that's um, so upsetting. <laughs> it, it is upsetting. And it's just, that's one of the things that I, again, if the Mets are like, Hey, um, you want to come for like 3 million? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, Adrian, we got to talk to you, buddy. Um, yes. Who's going to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, fuck that. I will, <laughs> I will opt out of this contract immediately. He's like, I don't need a veteran's minimum. The Braves are playing, playing me like $20 million. However. Oh, my God. But, yeah, six days until pitches and catches report on the 12th, eight days until the first workout, and let me do some quick math here, 15 days until <laughs> – no, 16 days until the first uh, spring training game. Oh, I mean, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, so Tuesday the 6th. So if you listen to it on Wednesday – just subtract one from all that. Listen, we can't do all this math for you, okay? Break out <laughs> I've been, the calculator. I've been saying, I've been saying six out. days this entire time, <laughs> not realizing that we're probably going to post this out tomorrow and right. it'll be five days. Whatever. Adjust it based on your time zone and your calendar. It doesn't matter. But Oh, if we if this uh, I'm gonna we're gonna try and get this out as quick as possible. Uh, but if it does go out tomorrow and like a whole bunch of crazy shit signings happen tonight, 
Sorry, just pretend we talked about it. <laughs> but like, isn't it crazy that the Mets signed Jake Arrieta? Like, that's fucking right. crazy. They were actually right. able to sign him. <laughs> just do a quick a quick run of of all like the possible signings. We're like, why did they sign JD Martinez? I don't know. They have way too yeah. many outfielders now. This, this doesn't even make sense. You can never. You never. Do you remember that weird thing that came out a couple years ago? Too many cooks. That's how oh, I yeah. think. Of, that's how I think of the Mets outfield. Every time I like they talk about their outfield, I just hear that song playing in my head. Yeah, it's just like we have we have way too many outfielders and apparently not enough uh, starting pitchers. So that's weird. We could let some of that, those guys pitch, right? That's how that works. Exactly. Everybody's in a game. Yeah, I mean, you know, even Ploiecki has been able to uh, to pitch oh my a little. God. That was. Oh I love that now. Ploiecki, every time I look at his baseball reference page, he has like pitching stats now. That is <laughs> amazing. Like, uh, that's amazing and terrible. Like, what all a of a sudden, every time, every time you come into one of those garbage games, baseball reference, the baseball reference people are like, ah, oh, god damn it. <laughs> I love how it's like everyone's trying to forget that, and baseball reference is just like, nope, we didn't. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's so great. But yeah, anyways, we are. Very close to the start of spring training. Oh, man. I'm looking at the calendar right now, and it's like a little bit over two weeks. Two weeks and two days. I can't wait. I'm Ugh, so excited. so awesome. We're actually going to have Mets baseball either on our TVs or through the radio. And, yeah, we're, we're ridiculously excited. So, obviously, make sure you guys stay up to date with everything that we'll be posting. Um, up until that, I think Christina's right, and we're going to have an onslaught of – just news and rumors, either about the Mets and other players that maybe affect the National League East and how things play out for the Mets as well. So we'll definitely.